I know it helped me, um, and I think a lot of other folks got help from it. So um, you ought to take some time and listen to that. All right, 2 Thessalonians. Um, I have been covering the different types of the Antichrist. And I'm, I'm going to cover a little bit more of that tonight, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to keep going through all the different names of, of the different people. Um, I, I think I've given you all that list once before, but there's 18 types of Antichrist in the Old Testament. And if I've learned one thing from this study about the Antichrist is just how deceptive the devil is. Just how, how the devil works to deceive people who are willing to be deceived. Um, look down in verse number. Uh, look down in verse number ten, and 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 I, I, we're gonna. I'm gonna kind of jump ahead and then back up. But in verse number ten, Second Thessalonians two ten, it says, "And with all deceivables of unrighteousness and them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie." So there is a there is something about loving truth. That the Lord appreciates and the Lord honors. And the devil, when a person gets truth and rejects truth, it opens a door for the devil to get in there and deceive an individual and give that person what they want. And the Lord is not... How do I say this? The, the Lord, the Lord's, the Lord is, does not want anybody to perish. He wants everyone to be saved. But when it comes to doctrine and rightly dividing your Bible... If, if you do not rightly divide this book and put things where they are, you will be deceived. And it's, the Lord will give you enough light for you to accept or reject. And when you reject His light, that light rejected becomes lightning. It turns into something where the Lord sears your conscience and He will, not, he will no longer reveal truth to you until you go back and accept the truth that you rejected. And it may be a truth about yourself, it may be a truth about the Word of God, but it, but it is a truth that God showed you and you're like, you know what, I don't want that, I want something else. Um, he says over there in Ezekiel chapter 11 that he will send, uh, that he will send or no, Ezekiel 14 verses 1 to 11, he will send a lying spirit to give you what you want, to give you the desires of your heart. And if the Lord's willing to do that because somebody rejects truth, somebody who, who builds up idols in their heart, Ezekiel 14. Turn over there to Ezekiel 14 and let's look at that real quick. Somebody who's willing to multiply idols to themselves, the Lord will, the Lord will ultimately give you what you want. And you will not even realize that it was the Lord that gave it to you. Look in verse number 3. It says, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of, should I be inquired of it all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take of the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, the, therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent and turn yourself from, from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your, from all your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel, of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separate him Himself from me, and set up idols in his heart, and put a stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to the proper 
to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him. And I will set my face against that man, and I will make him a sign and a proverb. And I will cut him off from the midst of my people, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So the Lord, if a man multiplies idols to himself, the Lord will give that man something to be deceived by. Over there in 1 Kings chapter 22, uh, the Lord says, How shall I deceive Ahab to go up against them? And a lying spirit comes up and says, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 22 that the Lord sent a lying spirit unto Ahab to deceive Ahab. Well, if the Lord would send a lying spirit unto Ahab, why would he do that? Because Ahab had already determined in his heart that he was more important than what, whatever God said. That Ahab wanted what he wanted more than what God wanted. Remember, remember Naboth's vineyard? Ahab desired, a, desired to have a garden of herbs close by to the palace instead of allowing the inheritance of Naboth to stay with his family. And, and Ahab went to allowing other people to do things for him to get something that he knew did not belong to him. And Ahab had the ability as the king to be able to stand up and do something about it. And he goes, you know what? I'm just going to lay on the bed and whine and cry because if I do, my wife will go get it for me. That's a pretty weak man that will let his wife go get something for him instead of taking care of it himself, first off. But secondly, Ahab had the ability to do the right thing and chose not to. He's the king. He could have gone anywhere else in the kingdom and found a piece of land to have a garden of herbs. But he wanted something that God had given to somebody else. And when, I, when you look at this thing on the Antichrist, you realize the Antichrist is only interested in deceiving anybody and everybody who love not the truth. They're deceived because they don't receive the truth. They don't have pleasure in the truth. And so I wrote these three things down. I got them from Dr. Ruckman. But he says, go back over to 2 Thessalonians. But there's three things about these people who love not the truth. First is they perish because they do not love the truth. 1 Corinthians 13.6 says, Charity rejoiceth in truth. You remember when you first started seeing things in the Bible? When the Lord first started kind of opening your eyes up? When you first started kind of getting rightly dividing and you first started understanding that, you know what, there's more to this than just get saved and rededicate and get saved and rededicate. There's more to understand in the Bible than just, you know, rinse and repeat and salvation and live, and live right. When you started understanding rightly dividing, like you got excited about it because there was a love of it. There was, there was an excitement about, man, there's more to this thing. There, there, there's, you're rejoicing in truth. You rejoice in the truth. When you first saw the King James Bible was the Word of God and understood that, it was like this, I mean, for me, it was like this light bulb went off in my head, and I'm like, why hadn't anybody ever told me that before? Like, why didn't I ever see this? And, and there's, there's a joy, there's an excitement that comes when you get truth. Well, in here in 2 Thessalonians, these are people who didn't love the truth and they perish because they don't love truth and they don't rejoice in it. They love in what they want. Well, isn't that where we live in the world today? The majority of society loves what they love about themselves regardless of truth. You listen to somebody talk and they'll tell you, well, I believe so-and-so because that's my truth. Yeah. Well, this, this, is, this is my truth. This, this is what I believe. Well, you're wrong. There's only one truth, and it's the truth of, of the Word of God, which is the King James Bible. It's not whatever you think it should be, and it's not whatever. First Peter says that this book is of no private interpretation. That means there's only one interpretation of this book, and that's the right interpretation given by the Holy Spirit. But everybody else wants to be an authority, and they want to go, no, well, this is what I believe it says. No, this is what I believe it says. No. When you line upon line, precept upon precept, take this book and examine it, this book will reveal itself to you and explain itself to you. 
You do not need some third party to give you the determination of what it is. You don't need to run to the Greek or to the Hebrew. This book is written in such a way that God will open your eyes and reveal to you the truth of this book if you'll take the book at what it says. When you come to this book, do not come to it with your own preconceived notions. You come to this book and you go, you know what, Lord? I'm an idiot, and if you don't show it to me, I'm not going to get it right. Because every time you come to this book looking for something and desiring something, it is, a, it is an open door for the Antichrist or for the devil to get in there and give you a seed towards something else. I mean, as, as, a, as, a, as a person who loves the Bible, it's hard, and somebody who studied the Bible, it's hard not to come to the Bible and go, well, I wonder if I can find something new. I wonder if I can find something nobody else has ever found before. I wonder if I can find something that I could teach that, you know, God's given me and not given everybody else. Well, why do I want that? So that everybody will think I'm some Bible scholar that I'm some, you know, I found something nobody has ever seen before. I've, I've, I've learned something that in 2,000 years, God's never revealed it, but he revealed it to Woodard. Well, that's awful proud, ain't it? Well, what was the first sin? Pride. And so when you come to this book with, with, a, with an element of pride in your heart, you can be deceived by what this book is. This book is a two-edged sword. It cuts coming and going. It doesn't just, you know, it's, it's not a one-edged, it's not a butter knife. You know, you don't just cut on one side. It, it, it's on both sides. So if you come to it looking for one thing, it'll give you something else. And if you come to it looking for something else, it'll give you the other thing. This book is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. And if you don't approach it with the right attitude, with the right heart, God will give you and he'll allow you to have a lie and, and be deceived by it. And you, and I, and you know that because there's a, a hundred different churches out there today teaching things that are misapplied in Scripture right now. You have people out there teaching that you need a second blessing in order to reveal that you're saved. You need a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. You need to speak in tongues. No, you don't. You need to learn how to bridle the tongue you got. Amen. But they take Scripture and misapply it. They go over there to, to Mark chapter 16 and go, you know, well, it says that all that will be saved and, and baptized. Well, yeah, there are some people that have to be baptized in order to be saved. But that's not the church age. We're not Acts 2.38. We're on out past Acts 28 where it's believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, not of works lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God, right? Well, you've got churches all over Jacksonville today that teach baptismal regeneration. They go around and say, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. And they'll even tell you if you're not baptized in their church, then you're not saved. Well, folks, there is nothing special about the baptismal water at Bible Believers Baptist Church. It comes from the same water meter that all the rest of the water in the toilets and everything else comes from. You're not getting saved because you got in that water and got done. Nothing supernatural happens when the preacher steps into that water and pushes your head down. It's, it is an outward picture of an inward testimony of what God's already done. But there's people literally going around saying, if you don't get in that water, you're not really saved. Well, so now you bring into fact, what's a person trusting? Are they trusting their baptism or are they trusting the shed blood of Jesus Christ? That's a scary, scary place to be. That's a, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm thinking I'm saved and somebody approaches me with that and you go, hey, how do you know you're saved? Well, I got baptized. Well, baptism doesn't save you. And you have to witness to that person and, and show them where the baptism doesn't save them. 
But the problem is, is nobody wants to study the Word of God. They just want to take, well, well brother so-and-so said this. Well, brother so-and-so could be wrong. You'd better come to the book. You know, the thing I always loved about Dr. Rugman and I love about our preacher is, they said, you know what, don't check me, check the book. If I cross the book, cross me off. And that's what you have to do. That's what you have to learn to do in your Christian life is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach? Secondly, these people perish because they don't believe the truth. 2 Timothy 3.7 says they're ever learning and not able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're studying and they're studying and they're studying and they're studying and they never, they never get to the end. They never go, well, well, Jesus Christ is right. Well, the Apostle Paul was right. Well, the Bible's right. They're always looking for some other doctrine. They're always looking for some other program, some other thing to reveal to them the truth. Well, no, the truth is in the Word of God and that's the only place you get truth from. But the problem is, is what I said a minute ago, they're the final authority, not the book. They, they come and go, well, well, I believe this is what the Bible says to me. No, the Bible doesn't say anything to you that doesn't say to anybody else. But if you let it say something to you that it's not supposed to say, you'll be deceived because you don't love the truth. You don't believe the truth. You don't believe when the truth is presented to you. You know, it's, I, don't know about, I don't know about y'all, but I've had conversations with multiple people about false doctrine and, and them believing the wrong things. And they want to have a discussion, but they don't want to get the Bible out and see what the Bible says. They're willing to have a discussion about what they believe and what brother so-and-so taught and what father so-and-so said and all of their other doctrines that they've been taught. But you go, well, hey, how about, let's, let's get the Word of God out and see what the Word of God says. You know, they'll have one, maybe two verses, and they go to those one or two verses and can quote those verses over and over and over and over again. But they have nothing else to base their, their foundation of their doctrine on besides those couple of verses. Well, I was always taught, don't base your doctrine on an unclear passage. You go to a clear passage and allow, and allow the light of the clear passage to shed light on the unclear passage. But in false doctrine, here's the thing that's deceptive about the devil and about the Antichrist and, and what he's doing is he will be 99% truth and 1% heresy. Well, 1% off is still off. It'll still send you to hell. It'll still cause you to miss rewards of the jump seat of Christ. And, I, and for me, that, that's the part for me that bothers me so much is there, I believe there are millions and millions of saved people that are going to get to the judgment seat of Christ one day and they're going to be naked and ashamed because some jerk of a preacher, pastor, whatever, told them something that God didn't really say and they lived their life according to what that guy said, not according to what the Word of God said. And they're going to miss out on all... They're going to get to heaven and see all of these other folks getting, getting rewards, getting gifts, and they're going to go, well, why, why don't I get that? Because you didn't follow the right book. You followed what you want. You know, in, uh, there in verse number 12, it says that they, might all be, that they all might be damned. Do you know every Bible besides the King James changes that word? They changed it to judged. They changed it to condemned. One of them changes it to approved. Last time I checked, being approved and being damned are two completely different things. I'd much rather be approved than I had to be damned. You know, and I've, and I've never, nobody ever uses condemned as a swear word. Nobody ever says, you know, condemn this. Nobody ever says approve this. Nobody ever says, 
you know, this is a bad thing. You know, it's, it's always GD. It's always something else that they're, that they're, that they're cursing and cussing. But yet, for some reason, the, the archaic English of the King James Bible, they want to alter that word because it's too hard to understand. No, they're altering it because they don't love the truth. They don't believe the truth. They have pleasure in unrighteousness. And they're like, well, we don't want what's going to happen to us be not to be known to everybody else. They're changing. They're trying to change their destination. But the third thing is they perish because they loved unrighteousness. Over there in, uh, first, in Romans chapter 1, the very last verse, verse 32, it says that they're condemned because they, not only because, turn over there to Romans, I'm going to just make a nasty mess of it. Um, turn over to Romans chapter 1, look at verse 32. It says, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So a person that's, that's following after that is somebody who has pleasure in watching somebody else commit sin. They enjoy watching somebody else do wrong. They enjoy watching other people take pleasure in unrighteousness. Well, somebody who doesn't love the truth, that's what they do. They, they not only do it, but they enjoy watching other people do it. They enjoy watching other people take pleasure in it. It's a... Um, Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for another reference. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, look in verse 4. Look in verse 1. It says, This know that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the, power from, from, denying the power thereof from such, turn away. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Isn't that the world you live in today? Everybody will take care of my flesh. I just want to feel good. You know, I don't want to go, well, I don't know why you would ever talk down to me. I, you know, nobody should ever say anything bad from the pulpit. A preacher's not supposed to say bad things. He's not supposed to hurt your feelings. Have you not ever read what Jesus Christ said? Oh, you viper, uh, you know, whited sepulcher, you know, generation of vipers. You know, your, what is it, your tongue is of asps. I mean, he's kicking the Pharisees the whole entire, the whole entire, t the whole entire way through, through all four Gospels. He's kicking the Pharisees up one side and down the other. The Pharisees are the religious crowd. Well, as a preacher, your job is to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Well, I can't afflict you if I'm always encouraging you and always telling you good things about yourself. No, at some point in time, you need to come to the, to the realization, the light of this word, this mirror of God's word is supposed to reveal the wickedness that's in your heart. If you don't feel conviction, there is something wrong when a preacher gets up to preach. You should feel some form of conviction inside of your heart going, you know what? I'm not quite perfect yet. I'm not quite exactly where God wants me to be. I'm not quite exactly everything God wants me to be. And I need to get some things right. We have an altar because it's a place for people to come to who know they're not right with God to come get right with God. I realize that's not the only reason you come to an altar, but... There, but that is a great reason to come to an altar is to go, you know what, Lord, I'm out of fellowship and I need to get right with you. We don't live in fellowship 100% of the time, all the time with Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody does. You don't walk perfectly day in and day out and never commit sin. And if you say you do, you're a liar. 
I don't have to leave my house for more than about 10 or 15 minutes to get on the highway before I get frustrated that some knucklehead who doesn't know how to drive. Well, that's not a sin. Well, yeah, it is. I'm frustrated at somebody and God put him in my way and said, you need to slow down. In everything, give thanks. Thank God that guy cut me off. Thank God I got two sick kids at home. Okay. No, what do you do? Normally, normally when something goes wrong for you, you get upset and go, I can't believe this is happening to me. Well, why? You're no better than the Lord Jesus Christ. You're no better than the Apostle Paul. Why do you think everything should go perfect for you all the time? You've got a wrong spirit about you. And if a preacher doesn't stand up and show you the Word of God and just goes, oh, well, you're really good and you should really try and rah, rah, re, shish, boom, ba, and let's just keep going for Jesus and do right and all you ever hear is all the good things, how are you going to know how to fix the bad things? Listen, I don't take my car to the mechanic shop because my car's working. I take it to the mechanic because something's broken and I need it fixed. I don't go to the doctor for him to go, hey, what are you the picture of health? If you're the picture of health, you don't go to the doctor. You go to the doctor because something's wrong and you need him to tell you what's wrong with it. Not because everything's wonderful, but this idea that, well, I come to church and I shouldn't feel bad when I'm at church. You shouldn't talk down to me. Everybody's equal. We're all, no, you're not. We're not all equal. We're not all the same. Yeah, we are all sinners at the foot of the cross. There you go. But there, there is a hierarchy when you come to church. There is, there is a level of authority. God put some things in place for you to get under somebody else and to submit yourself to an authority. And if a man won't submit to the authority that God's put in place, God's not going to keep showing the truth. If a man continues to kick against the authority God's put in his life, guess what? God's going to be done with that man until he gets underneath that authority. But you live in a world today that says, I'm, I am the authority. I, I am God and I'm going to be the one that tell you what's right for me and, and nobody else is going to tell me what's wrong with my life. Well, guess what? You're done hearing from God. If you can't submit yourself, that Bible says in Philippians 3 that he, that he became obedient. He took a form upon him the form of a servant and became obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ could have said, I'm not going to die. Could have said in the garden, not my will, yes, my will. Forget what you want, Father, and I'm done. I'm not putting that stuff on me. And he, but you know what he said? He goes, no, not my will, but thine be done. He set the perfect example for you and I. But the Antichrist wants to go, no, you should have it your way. You should have what you want, when you want it, and I'll give it, I'll give it to you the way that you want it. And that's what's going to happen. And so the, um, I've been talking through these guys about the Antichrist. And, and the last one that I want to talk about for just a few minutes before we move back into 2 Thessalonians is Judas. And for me, Judas has got to be the, the scariest one of all. Because Judas is walking among the other 11 disciples for three and a half years. Judas is in the in crowd. Judas is doing everything that all of the other guys are doing. And even up to the very end at the Lord's Supper, at the Last Supper... Nobody realizes what Judas is. He's that good at being deceptive. And the whole entire time that Judas is in there, Judas is there with the hope that one day Jesus will be the Messiah and that 
he will get promoted to a place of power because he's in that group. He's not there because he wants to see Jesus be the Messiah. He's there because he wants a place because he's in the in crowd and wants his position not to see the king glorified, not to see the Lord Jesus Christ glorified, but so that he can go, hey, I'm number two. And so he goes over there to the Pharisees and he, he says, hey, you know, 30 pieces of silver. He's, he's interested in provoking Jesus to do something that God's not, it's not his time to do. He's trying to get the Lord Jesus Christ to do something that it's not time for him to do yet. Jesus knows his time. Now he's, in my opinion, about 20 years late from coming. But he knows that his time is coming and he's fixing to come set up a kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. But Judas is going, you know what, maybe I can provoke him to act outside of what he's doing. He's a stinking devil. He's trying to get the Lord to do something outside of the Father's will. He's trying to get him to do the right thing at the wrong time. Man, that's a, that's a key in the Christian life. Doing the right thing at the right time. Too many times we want, to, we want to do the right thing at the wrong time. We want to be promoted to a place. We, we want a position. Well, if I just do this, then this will happen and this will happen and this will happen. The minute, you, the, minute the thought enters your head, well, if I do this, then this, you're off course. Because we're to walk by faith, not by sight. The minute you start figuring whatever God's path is for you, you're most likely out of the will of God. You need to take a step back and go, okay, Lord, where do you want me to go? Right there, right there. I don't know where it leads, but that's where you said take the next step. Okay, Lord, where's the next step? There? Okay, I'll take the next step. And I'm not worried about ever getting to the door. I'm just worried about the next step he wants me to take in front of me. But the devil's going, hey, you see out there? I, I want to give you the kingdoms. I want to give you all the kingdoms of the world. If you'll just bow down to me just, just for... A, a millisecond and say I'm king, I'll give you all the kingdoms right now. Now the devil's a liar. You think if Jesus had bowed down, he'd have gotten all them kingdoms? No, he'd have laughed him to scorn and said, nana nana boo boo, you ain't getting them now. But Jesus wasn't looking at what he could have right now. He was looking somewhere off 2,000 years down the road and going, you know what? I ain't bowing for that. My father's going to give it to me if I just wait. If I'm just patient, my father will give it to me and it won't matter. You won't ever be able to take it away from me. You'll not be able to do, I don't care whether you give it to me or not, you'll be able to take it back. But if I wait on my father, he'll give it to me and it will never go back. Because he saw the end of the road. He wasn't looking for the here and now. He wasn't looking for what's going on. And that's what, the, that's what Judas is. Judas is there trying to provoke Jesus to do something in the here and now. And I, I just, I don't know that we'll ever understand the depth of what happened in the garden until we see the Lord. But when the Lord's there in the garden of Gethsemane and He's praying and He's talking with the Father, in my mind's eye, the devil's right there talking to Him at the same time. And the reason I think that is, is because there's been many a time I've gotten down and prayed and the devil shows up while I'm trying to talk with the Lord and starts trying to whisper things into my ear. And I'm nobody special. And I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but have you ever gotten down to pray and, and you have to pray for like at least a good five, maybe ten minutes just to clear the filth out of your head before you and the Lord start talking? 
Well, that's the devil the whole time trying to get you to stop and not take time to get along with the Lord and not take some time to allow the Lord to do something. You th I think about Elijah up there on the mountain. Elijah had to go through all of those, the whirlwind and the storm and the fire and all of those things. And once all of that stuff ha got over with, then the still small voice came. The still small voice wasn't the first voice he heard. He was looking for all, all of those other things showed up first and he had to work through all of that filth before the still small voice came. See, the Christian life is not one of speed. It's one of accuracy. And I had a, a, a gun, uh, an, a sniper instructor, whatever you want to call him, a rifle instructor said that taught me that slow is fast. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And if you learn to go slow, you'll learn to do it smoothly. And the, and the smoother you get at it, the faster you'll be. Well, that's very, a great picture of the Christian life. You have to learn to do Christian life slowly. And then it becomes a little more smooth. And then all of a sudden there's some speed that gets added and some other things come along. But accuracy is the critical point of the Christian life, not how fast you get it done. Just because you can get two shots off in a second doesn't mean you hit the target. No, it's taking your time drawing and making sure you hit the target. Well, the devil just wants you to fire off wherever you shoot off willy-nilly, and he's not really worried about where you shoot off at. As long as you miss the target, he doesn't really care that you missed. The Lord's interested in accuracy. He's interested in you doing the right thing at the right time. But here, here Judas is trying to push some things and trying to get some things done outside of God's timing for his life. And listen, you and I live in a world that is full of distractions today. Full of shortcuts, full of, you know, I mean, goodness gracious, you don't have to turn very far for somebody's trying to get you to sign up for something to tell you how to be a millionaire tomorrow. You know, well, if you'll just follow my easy 10-step plan, or if you'll follow my three simple steps, or if you'll just invest in this stock, if you'll just buy this, if you'll just do this, you know, you can be a millionaire in six months. I've, the only person I've ever seen be a millionaire is the guy selling the stuff. I've never met a true testimonial of somebody who got into a pyramid scheme and won. There's a reason why the pyramid scheme only works for the guy at the top, because everything's going up to him and everybody else loses. And then that guy winds up going to jail because he's being fraudulent. But there's, we live in a society that is all about get it now, get it now, sacrifice everything just to get it now. And the Lord's like, no, don't sacrifice everything. You take your time. And you follow me one step at a time and I'll show you. But Judas wants you to get out there and do it when he wants you to do it and make sure he's the one, make sure everybody knows he's the one that orchestrated the whole thing. He's the devil. And so be careful of that when you start getting too fast, when you start getting moving ahead of where God wants you to be. Um, all right, let's get back into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, look at verse number 4. I've already covered this, but he says, Who opposeth himself and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Um, Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 to 37 is a good cross-reference on this. Um, the other thing you ought to note here is the Antichrist, which you'll see down in the mystery of iniquity, says in verse 7, doth already work. There are already many antichrists in the world that are going out deceiving and setting themselves up as God. 
You have one right now that, sell, that says he is the vicar of God. He says he is God on earth and whatever he says is as though God speaks. And that's the Pope. That guy is sending billions and billions of people to, to, to hell each and every day. Throughout the generations, there's untold billions of people that are burning forever and ever because of what that guy said. And he is a, he is a picture and a type of the Antichrist. Um, and at some point in time, he's going to die. Somebody's going to kill him and up and up's going to spring the Antichrist most likely. Um, in verse 5, it says, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. So Paul's already, been, Paul's already preached this stuff in the church to the Thessalonians. He's already told the Thessalonians, hey, this stuff is coming, but you're not going through it. You're not going through the tribulation, but you need to be aware that there are some antichrists that are going to show up. There's going to be some things that are going to be working, and there's going to be some deception that's going on. I, I mentioned this before um, from verse number 2. Paul says that you be not soon shaken in mind or neither troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter. As from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. So there's already people, while Paul is still preaching, Paul is dealing with false doctrine in the local churches. It's not like false doctrine showed up five minutes after Paul died. No, Paul's in the church and he's dealing with Hymenaeus and Alexander. And he's dealing with um, Alexander the coppersmith. He's dealing with Diotrephes. He's dealing with these guys that are setting up and teaching false doctrine in the churches while he's trying to keep the churches going. If Paul's dealing with false doctrine and he says, nor by word, nor by letter, what does that mean? That means somebody's writing a letter going, it's from Paul. Somebody is, is forging a letter in Paul's hand writing and going, hey, this is from the Apostle Paul. And Paul's going, look, if somebody tells you something contrary to what I'm telling you, don't believe it. Even if it's in a letter that says it's from me, don't believe it because it's contrary. Because the church is not going through the tribulation. And so I, I, I reiterate that to say this again. You will hear these Bible scholars say, well, the oldest and best manuscripts say. Just because they're the oldest does not mean they are the best. Because literally you could have Thessalonians from Paul in 54 AD and Thessalonians from a false apostle Paul at the same exact time. And they're the same age, but one letter's good and one letter's not. So just because somebody found something in a, in a, the Dead Sea Scrolls, first off, why would the Lord put something in the Dead Sea? Why would the Lord preserve His Word in the Dead Sea? It's dead. He would not bring something out of it. He never had anything good to say about the Dead Sea while He was alive. Why would He preserve His Word in the Dead Sea? Why would He find Him in a cave in Alexandria, Egypt? Nothing good comes out of Egypt. Everything in the Bible tells you about Egypt, that Egypt's a type of the world. So why would God hide something of His Word that He's preserved forever and ever in Egypt so that it's just found? I just heard a new one somewhere, somewhere else down in Egypt or some, in some desert. They just found some new old ancient manuscripts. And I'm like, okay, why do we keep trying to find something if God's already preserved it? Because you want to be the authority and you want to say you found something outside of God's Word. God preserved His Word and He gave it to us in the English language in 1611. And it's perfect and it's pure and it doesn't need to be changed. But the problem is, is man wants to be the authority and man wants to prove he's right instead of just going, you know what? 
I'm trusting the Lord can preserve His Word. I'm trusting the Lord gave me His Word, and I'm not going to worry about anything else. You know, oh, well, science has just shown the Bible's right. I don't need science to show the Bible's right. I already knew the Bible's right. The Bible's five, six hundred, a couple millennia out ahead in front, of, uh, in front of science and history and everything else right now. I mean, this book's already told you what's going to happen in the next thousand years. Guess what? Somebody's going to come in and take over Israel. And Israel's going to run out into the Red, Red Rock City and there's going to be a tribulation and some guy's going to rise up and it's all fixing to happen sooner or later. I'm not saying what's going on right now is the tribulation or what, I'm definitely not saying it's the tribulation. And I'm not even saying it's the precursor to the tribulation. But something's going to happen with Israel and the Lord's moving everything back to that place and getting the focus off the United States and the focus off of everybody else because that's where God cares about. That's where God said, that's my throne, that's my city, and that's where I'm going to rule for a thousand years. And man's going to do everything he can to keep Jesus Christ from getting on that throne and so is the devil. But the devil's going to come up at some point in time and rise up and go, you know what, I, I am the guy. Um, but in verse 5, every, every lie in this age is a scriptural truth misplaced. Every false doctrine that's taught from the Word of God is a scripture that's not properly divided. We are not preaching the kingdom. We are to preach the gospel, the grace of God. You have this crazy movement among Christians about preparing for the end times. You have Christians that are building bunkers because they're preppers and they think they're going into the tribulation. Why is that? Because they've got somebody teaching them false doctrine that they're going to endure the tribulation. Because they don't read the Word of God. They don't rightly divide the Word of God. And so they've convinced themselves that they're going into the tribulation and they're going to have to endure the tribulation. And they're going to have to endure to the end so that they can be saved. If you're living in this age, you don't have to endure to the end of anything. You can drop dead right now and you're going to be in heaven with Jesus, absent from the body, present with the Lord, if you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Now, if you don't trust Him as your personal Lord and Savior, absent from the body, you're going to be present in hell. But the reality is, absent from the body, present with the Lord, if you've trusted Him as, as your Savior. And it's a, you know, I had a conversation with a guy um, recently. And... It's really scary to me how uninformed people are, even in this part of the country now. I mean, we're in the Bible Belt. And like as a kid growing up, everybody knew Noah's Ark. Everybody knew about Abraham. Everybody knew about Moses, you know, in the basket and the bulrushes. Everybody knew about the Ten Commandments. And... You know, most people knew about Jesus and salvation and had some element of it. And I'm having a conversation with a, a gentleman recently who's in his early 60s, and I'm talking to him about, and I mean, he he's grew up in church. Now, probably, maybe not our church, but grew up in church. And I'm like, you know, I said, hey, you know, you're getting ready to cross over. You're fixing to die. Do you know if you're saved? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I've done enough good. And I'm like, I said, sir? He said, yeah, I think I've done enough good. And I said, good has nothing to do with it. I said, it matters what you've done with the Lord Jesus Christ. What have you done with Him? And he kind of looked at me and I said, and I went through, and so I went through the gospel with him, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. And I presented the gospel to him and I said, listen man, all you have to do is one, know you're a sinner, believe Jesus died for you, and then confess Jesus Christ and accept what He did for you on the cross. 
I said, you know you're a sinner? Yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I said, so you, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Yeah, yeah, I pray all the time. And I'm like, I didn't ask you if you prayed all the time. I said, have you asked Him to save you? Well, I mean, I, I believe He died for me. Okay, but have you asked Him to save you? And he, and he just kind of looked at me and, yeah, I've prayed, I've prayed. And I couldn't, I know the guy well enough that if I pushed him hard enough, he'd have bowed his head and prayed because I said, you ought to pray. But I didn't want to, and so I didn't want to push him to that place and go, yeah, well, I, I asked Jesus to save me because Woodard told me I needed to do that, so I did what he told me to do. No, he needed to believe in his heart the Lord Jesus Christ would save him, not that somebody forced him and said, you've got to do this or you're not going to go to heaven. He needs to know that he's a sinner. He needs to know that Jesus died for him. And he needs to know that he needs a Savior, not just that Woodard said you need a Savior. And so I left him there hanging and I'm like, man, you know, I'm hoping I can come back to him and have another conversation with him because the guy is literally, in my opinion, he's dying. He's got blood clots in his lungs and in his heart and they can't figure out what to stop it. He's got a hole in his colon and um, I mean, it's, he's in pretty rough shape. And, you know, not doing real well. And, they, you know, and he's in and out of the hospital quite a bit. And so I'll ask you to pray for him. The guy's name is Tommy. But, um, but that's the world you live in today. That people don't know. They still think that God's going to weigh out their good versus their bad. And that's what's going to determine eternity for them. It's not. They're deceived. They're hanging on to something that has nothing to do with what Jesus Christ told them they needed to do as far as being saved. But the other thing you need to realize about these people who are going around, you know, oh, we need to spread the kingdom and do something for the gospel of the kingdom. And, you know, we're, we're, we're building, a, we're, we're furthering God's kingdom and all this kingdom stuff. We were taught this in school. Um, this is a saying I heard. If I heard it once, I heard it 50 times. Kingdom builders are bloody killers. You look, you look back through history and the Catholic Church, every time they tried to build a kingdom, just killed people. You look, look, look at the Islamic faith today. They're trying to build a kingdom, and what are they doing? They're just killing people. The Catholic Church has just gotten a little bit more deceptive about how they kill people. Now they just use other people to get it done. But they're still happy to take people out and get people out of the way. They're probably the most anti-Semitic group in the whole entire world. Um, and you better be careful when you start talking bad about the Lord's people. Um, he says, I'll bless those that bless thee and curse those that curse, curse thee. And um, you're living in a time where, where people are openly, openly saying it's okay to be a terrorist and to do something against Israel and that Israel shouldn't defend itself. Now, if you came into my house and hurt my family, I'm not going to stop until you're six feet under and the threat is completely neutralized. But yet all of a sudden, for Israel, that's not okay. Well, well they, they've, they've done enough retribution. They should stop now. Really? No, the enemy is still out there. We, didn't, we spent 20 years in Afghanistan, and that's okay for us, but it's not okay for Israel to defend themselves for 20 days. It's not okay for Israel to go in there. I mean, Israel literally could go wipe the Gaza Strip off the face of the earth and just take some D-10 bulldozers in there and level the whole thing back into the Mediterranean Sea and make it cease to exist, and they're not doing that. So you want to talk about exercising restraint? Those people are exercising some very serious restraint, in my opinion. I mean, they could literally bomb that place off the map and then take some dozers and just push it in the Mediterranean Sea and add a little bit more land out there and take it over themselves and start over again. And it'd be a much better place if they started over again. That's right. That's 
But you got all of these people crying, oh, they shouldn't do that. They're, they're being mean. Those, those, those poor people. No, not those poor people. Those poor people have lied and cheated and stole. And their whole entire existence is to get rid of Israel. That is a demonic thing. When you hate somebody so much, you just want to see them wiped off the face of the earth. There's something demonic about that. There's something demonic about that hatred and that pride to think that you're that much better than everybody else. And those people should just die and, and go to hell. No, that's wicked. We're, we're supposed to take up a towel and minister to those folks and, and show them the gospel. I realize that Israel is, there's a blindness in part on Israel. It's one of the mysteries right now. And I realize they're enemies for, our, for the gospel's sake. You know, they're spiritually blind right now. But it doesn't mean I want to see Israel wiped off the map. God's going to reconcile himself to that nation at some point in time after he gets us out of here and saves us. But he's going to reconcile himself to those folks and he's going to do something for them. And all the world's going to be jealous when they see it done. All the world's going to go, why in the world does he love them people? He's going to say, because I said they're my people. Just like the world could go, why does he love them Christian people? Because they're crazy. But thank God he does, because we got in his son and you didn't. And listen, I don't want to see anybody go to hell. But there's a whole lot of people headed there. Because they're deceived, because they don't love the truth, they're not seeking the truth, and God's allowing them to get what they want. And there's coming a time where they'll all be deceived, they'll all be deceived, and they'll all be damned. Um, verse number six it says, "And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. That he there is the son of perdition, revealed in his time is." Or, Let's see. And ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Revealed in his time, the man of sin might be revealed as a son of perdition. So the son of perdition is going to go down and the man of sin is going to come up. And so he's going to be revealed. And we'll, I don't have time to get into it tonight. But in, once we get into verse 7, all of your new Bibles try to insert the Holy Spirit into verse number 7. They try to insert and say, well, the Holy Spirit's what's taken out of the way. No, the Holy Spirit's never taken off the earth. He's here Paul says, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If, I make my, if I'm in heaven, thou art there. The Holy Spirit never leaves. What he's talking about in verse number 7 has to do with, with the, the man of sin being taken out of the way. So the, the son of perdition being taken out of the way so the man of sin can be revealed. Um, but I don't want to get into all that because it gets into a whole other set of things. And we'll get into that next time. Um, so let's close with a word of prayer.